morning, London. Happy Good Friday to you. Welcome to the Craig Needles Show. Uh, look, typically Good Friday. This is not where I would be. We would be uh, off. But strange times call for different measures. And uh, I'm here until 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, just getting the very latest on what's going on with COVID-19. Talk with Londoners about what they're doing and uh, I wanted to begin by talking about the religious aspect of this. I know Mike Stubbs talked about it on the air this week, but I wanted to uh, to have part of that conversation as well, just because, look, there are a lot of people who this Good Friday are going to be uh, having a tough time. Really, really having a tough time because they're used to going to a church service. They're used to being part of that church community. They're used to having family over. And none of that stuff's going to be happening this year because of the pandemic we're in right now. Dr. Greg Whiten's a lead pastor at New Hope Community Church here in London. I wanted to ask him, hey, how are you adjusting as someone who's a faith leader to the situation we're in right now? We're going to talk more about how people are feeling about this with Daryl Bricker in just a couple of minutes from a polling perspective. But from a faith perspective, I talked to Greg Whiten yesterday and asked him, hey, you've got you know, a congregation to think about here. How are you leading those folks during one of the big times on the Christian calendar and the big times on the calendar for a lot of folks of different faiths. Here's what uh, Greg White and the, the, the pastor at New Hope Community Church said to me about that. I just started by thanking him for doing, uh, uh, doing a phone call with me. Greg, thank you so much for joining the radio program today. Glad you could uh, give us some time. Yeah, you're very welcome, Craig. Glad to join you. Uh, look, th- this is uh, an unprecedented situation for all of us, and I don't care if you're working in radio, if you're working in policing or in healthcare or in uh, commercial industry or whatever it happens to be. I'm sure it's an unprecedented time in uh, uh, for those who are, are are people of faith and working in faith as well. Uh, what are you doing for Easter in the midst of this whole coronavirus situation we're in? Well, you're right, Craig. It's certainly unprecedented times for all of us, and in the church. Uh, all the churches in London, for sure, and really throughout the world. But this will be a very unique Easter, uh, as was, I'm sure, the very first one. But this is a, it's a great opportunity. In fact, I think in some ways it might be advantageous to us as a church community to not be in a building and have the opportunity to uh, remember God's love, which is the most significant thing any of us can do at Easter season, and one of the ways we do it is by social distancing at the moment. So one of the things we're doing is uh, the online services this weekend, today, Good Friday, and then again on Easter Sunday, but we do them throughout the week as well. Yeah, that's, uh, I suppose, as good as we can do right now, and I'm sure there's a lot of folks who are uh, uh, wishing they could be there for that Easter service or, or wishing they could have that family gathering at Easter or, or both, obviously. But, but sadly, what, what you've outlined is probably as, as good as it's going to get, no matter who you are, just because we've, we've got to stay away from each other right now, even though it's a little bit painful. Yeah, it's true, Craig, but it, this is just, it's a very unprecedented time, and you've talked to so many people through the last few weeks in uh, businesses in various areas in the church it really affects us but but honestly i really have tried to embrace this and i think many people in our church have as a relatively positive thing because far too often i think we look at the church buildings in town and think there's things going on in there but we're really separate from what's going on in the rest of the world and this really does give us a unique opportunity to move out of the buildings and just literally be the church 
throughout the communities that we live in. So I think in, in one way we're looking at it as a positive experience. That's, uh, I, I suppose, the best way we can look at it, just because we don't really have a lot of choice. We can, we can be sad and we can be upset about things, and, and of course we can be, but we, we, we've got to find ways to keep going on and, and be positive. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of things we've been able to do, which other churches have as well. Our adult programming is that uh, we've got a, a leader who's put all of those things on Zoom and Google chat rooms, and our kids' director has delivered... Uh, hundreds of parcels to people's homes to do kids' activities. And there's just an awful lot of innovative, creative things you can do, uh, even though you can't actually physically get together and, and have meetings in buildings. But uh, it, it's, been a real, it's been a real innovative time for all of us. Yeah, I would, uh, I would certainly say so. Uh, I, I'm glad you're being able to be innovative. How has the congregation been uh, reacting to these innovations? Well, uh, quite well, really. In fact, just two days ago, I was actually reading this on, on social media, on somebody's Facebook, that they actually thanked us in their social media for having closed the church when we did, when the Surgeon General uh, encouraged us to do that, because if we would have met that Sunday, we've actually known of three people who, from our community, have been confirmed COVID uh, uh, people, and they would have all been there if we would have right. met on the 15th. And so, boy, they were just thanking us for, for not meeting. Well, because then I'm, who knows how many would have it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it could have just spread like crazy. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, well, I'm glad that they've been uh, thankful. And uh, how, how are the folks in your congregation that, uh, that, that have it? Are they doing a bit better now? Or? Well, I, I know that of one of them that's still in intensive care, but the others, uh, some have very uh, insignificant uh, symptoms and others are struggling a little bit more and i talked to someone just last night who said they'd just been tested yesterday and she lives alone and she said i'm i'm a bit fearful i'm, I'm certainly concerned but we'll just uh, deal with it as it comes so that's yeah, certainly affecting it's affecting all of us in one way or another isn't it yeah no i would uh, i would certainly uh, certainly say that uh, as you're preparing you, to talk to your congregation uh, is this uh, the, the a main piece of the subject matter and or, or do you try to sort of keep it to uh, uh, an address that would be uh, normal or, or, or standard even if we weren't going through this how do you how do you handle that portion of it hey I think we just kind of drive the boat right into the wave mm-hmm. I mean it's it's this is the season we're living in right now and it was kind of a chaotic system that Jesus was living in when he came into that community so many years ago and was demonstrating the love of God and it, this this really is a similar time with just different with different uh, experiences but still facing lots of challenges so yeah no we're, we're we're heading it face on and head on and just talking about the Easter experience related to this COVID season that we're in. Yeah, I think that's say like we said, all we can uh, all we can do. Anything else that you want to add, Greg, or, or let our audience know about on this before I let you go? Well, I, maybe just one thing. Sure. I, I think that at any given time, and not, I'm no expert on this, but I always think that about five percent of the population are in a serious crisis at any given time, whether it's relationships or health or financial crisis. But we're not in normal times. This this particular COVID season, uh, it's increased percentage-wise exponentially. I mean, it could be that as many as 
25 or 30 percent of people find themselves in a, in a crisis of one sort or another today. And each of those crises are a little bit more complicated to process because of social distancing and, and social uh, self-isolation. So, Craig, I want to thank you for addressing this issue so much throughout our community and trying to help people be pointed towards where they can get help and how they can have their needs addressed. And you've done an awful lot to, to help this community. And I want to thank you. Oh, hey, no, I, I appreciate that. We're, uh, we're, we're doing our best. And, uh, you know, we, we've heard the, the, the phrase a lot, but it certainly applies. We're all in this together, you know. And uh, uh, it continues to go well with the congregation. Really appreciate you giving me a couple minutes today. Yeah, all the best to you, Craig. Enjoy this Easter weekend. It's Greg Whiten, pastor, uh, New Hope Community Church uh, here in London. More of the Craig Needle Show after this. Uh, talking with Daryl Bricker of Ipsos coming up. This is Global News Radio. It's 980 CFPL. Back on the Craig Needle Show here on 980 CFPL. And usually when we talk with Daryl Bricker, we're talking about how Canadians feel about this political issue or that political party or whatever it happens to be. Right now, I'm going to ask Daryl how Canadians feel in their own homes, because that's essentially where they are. Uh, Daryl, of course, with Ipsos, joins us on the phone lines right now. Hey, Daryl, good morning. Thanks for this. My pleasure, Craig. Thanks for having me on. How are Canadians doing with this physical distancing thing? You've been asking them, how's it going? Well, uh, we're feeling lonely. At least (laughs) half of us are feeling pretty lonely, Uh, and especially younger Canadians. The average Canadian is saying about 54% of Canadians are saying, yeah, I'm feeling lonely and isolated. 68% of the people who are, we surveyed who are under the age of 34 are feeling lonely. So it, it really is a, a lonely crowd among the youngster, or the younger uh, members of our population. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's too bad, and I, and, I, and I feel bad for those folks. Do they still understand, though, why they're doing it, or are they okay with it from the perspective of, yeah, we know uh, uh, that there's, uh, there, there's greater needs at play here? Yeah, they say that they do. So when we ask people whether or not they're self-isolating, about 75% of the population says that they are. But there's another 25% who say that they they actually aren't. Now, some of those folks can't uh, because they're in essential jobs. But there is a core group of people who just say that uh, this is too much or this is unnecessary, and they don't really plan to follow uh, whatever the directions are. Uh, That's that's, uh, upsetting to hear, obviously. Uh, but really, like those folks, obviously, they, they know what's going on. They just choose to ignore it, I suppose, is the, uh, is the way to define that. What about older folks or people who are, uh, suppose, you know, using uh, technologies like FaceTime or Google Hangouts, whatever it happens to be, to communicate with one another? I know that, that there's a lot of that going on as well. Yeah, it's almost universal. Uh, about 93% of the people we surveyed said that they're using some form of technology to stay in touch, and there's really no difference by age. So it seems that grandma really is losing, uh, learning how to use FaceTime. Uh, it, uh, it, and that, that's one of the things that we see in technology generally. The fastest growth in uptake and use of some of these new things is actually among older people, not among younger people. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's an interesting part of that as well. And look, I I was doing a a little uh, FaceTime or whatever it was. It's not FaceTime because I don't have an Apple product, but that type of call with my parents last night who'd never done that before, but they wanted to see their grandkids. So I'm like, okay, we can try to hook this up. Not going to lie, it was a bit of a frustrating experience, but we figured it out. I'm sure that's going on a lot of households around the country right now. Yeah, they do it three to five times, and they're probably experts. I mean, and and, and that's what's going to happen. So one of the things that we're seeing globally, not just in Canada, is that there's going to be a a fair amount of trial about things that relate to e-communication, but also e-commerce. 
more and more people are trying that as well. So if you can't go out for dinner, maybe you're, you're using a delivery service to provide uh, to provide uh, uh, something for you. And uh, it may have been the first time, but uh, you know, uh, necessity is the, uh, the, uh, the 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 producer of a lot of these uh, of a lot of these opportunities. So I think you're going to see uh, even through this and after this, uh, some businesses really f- uh, begin to flourish because people have experienced them for the first time. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, uh, what else did uh, you find in this uh, in this poll, or what, anything else that jumped out at you as you were uh, asking Canadians how they feel about uh, physical distancing here? Uh, well, sixty-five percent of us say that when this is over, things will t- return to normal. Now, that sounds like a big number, but there's thirty-five percent of us who don't think that it will mm-hmm. return to normal. So, the potential for some residual uh, um, aspects to what we're going through right now. Not just good ones like, for example, learning how to use new technology or maybe experiencing new business uh, uh, opportunities or uh, taking advantage of new services that are available in the community. But maybe uh, social distancing will become more of what you do. Maybe there'll be some good things like, for example, we'll wash our hands more. But maybe we'll also be thinking that traveling on airplanes, the way that they're structured, not such a good idea. Maybe going to concerts or to sporting events crowded together with other people may not be such a good idea. Uh, it'll take a, a few months to really figure out which of these things become lasting aspects of the way that we uh, we act within the world and which ones will will, uh, will die off as we get further away from the crisis. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Someone was saying, hey, yeah, I'm looking forward to going to a baseball game when baseball gets back. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be thrilled to do that. But I think there are going to be some people who are going to be nervous about that. And I, of course, I'm not going to go if health officials don't think it's a good idea. And who knows when that's going to be? Right. And, and 35% is not an insignificant No, of number. course not. So there's a lot of people who are probably taking a wait-and-see approach or are going to maintain some of the things that they're doing right now, probably not self-isolation, uh, you know, staying at home from work, but uh, are they going to take, you know, continue to take the, the, the public transit? Are they going to go to parks the way that they used to? Are they going to go to community gatherings the way that they used to? It remains to be seen. But, you know, Human behavior is interesting. Um, it's it's like we have to, uh, um, you know, kind of get to the edge of something and see other people are doing it before we decide that, that it's okay for us to do it. And, you know, there has to be some uh, affirmation from experts. There has to be certain cultural expectations that it's okay. So some some people will probably get back to what normal is, but they might take a lot longer to do it. Yeah, certainly. Uh, other question I had for you, Daryl, and I, I know it's tough to pull for this, but are you concerned that people are going to start uh, not necessarily being all that worried about the social distancing aspect of this if they get lonelier and they get more frustrated by that and might be kind of wanting to do a uh, you know scratch at the door to get out a little bit type of thing? Yeah, and that's one of the things that we're really watching because uh, um, the longer that the lockout goes goes on, uh, and the longer that uh, or the closer we get into summer you're going to start seeing, particularly, I would say the greatest pressure will be among younger people mm-hmm. uh, who are really feeling isolated and lonely, uh, for them to start testing the boundaries of what this, uh, what, what this is supposed to be about. So I expect that we'll start to see some cracks form. Uh, you know, we'll have more angry mayors on television or on the radio uh, telling people that they should be doing certain things. At some point, uh, greater numbers will start to ignore them. So there, there will have to be some form of uh, organizing this return to normal because it won't go on forever, mainly because the public won't accept it going on forever. Yeah, no, they, they, they won't. And, you know, I, I, I flash forward my head to uh, a Saturday in June 
and it's a beautiful day, and there's going to be Londoners saying to themselves, Port Stanley's not far away, you know? And the beach is probably going to be closed, but people are going to want to go anyway. I'm just sort of, uh, I, that's kind of what more, more my brain goes when I think about people sort of being broken by the social isolation thing when it's this beautiful day outside, and people just want to take advantage, and they don't want to sit in their backyard if they have it, or they don't want to walk around on the street where they're not supposed to get within six feet of anybody. They're, they're going to want to go do something like that. Uh, when the patios start to roll out, yep. um, <laughs> both legal and illegal, uh, it, it's it's going to be hard to keep people uh, where they are. So uh, th- this is one of those things that's going to be really interesting for us to be looking at, which is where the cracks start to form, where the opportunities start to develop, and what those trigger points will be for people starting to re-engage with society in a way that they remember as normal. We will uh, have to leave the conversation there, Daryl. Uh, thank you so much for doing this with us today, though. Really glad that you could uh, give us a couple minutes, and uh, thanks for uh, spending some of your good Friday with us here at 980 CFPL. Well, happy Easter to you and all your listeners. All right, thank you. Daryl Bricker with Ipsos joining us, talking about how Canadians are feeling. And, well, like he said, they're feeling lonely, and I can understand why. And I think this weekend especially, people are used to seeing family and and having those types of uh, gatherings. It's going to be a tough go. More of the Craig Deal Show after this. You're tuned to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Back on the Craig Needle Show, we've got a quick break coming up. Going to do some news after the news. Going to uh, have a conversation with, well, we've got a couple of different things that uh, are coming up after the news that uh, I'm I'm looking forward to chatting about. Uh, Mayor Ed Holder is going to be on this radio program about a half hour. Uh, Ed and I are going to talk about what their uh, their, their COVID-19 task force has uh, been discussing, so we're going to do that. Plus, uh, you're going to hear a conversation with Dan Morand of Beth Emanuel uh, Church. We've talked with Dan before in regards to what's going on at his church when it comes to outreach, helping people who need it in this community. He's got some pretty good success stories for us, so stay with us. It's the Craig Needle Show. It's 980 CFPL. Back on the Craig Needle Show, you might remember Dan Moran with Beth Emanuel at a church. Been on the show a couple of times talking about their Urban Haven project. A lot of chance to catch up with Dan a little bit yesterday. And their Urban Haven project, uh, there's some remarkable success stories that have come along with that. But also they've had to adjust things, clearly, just based on what's going on with COVID-19, as just about everybody has. Here's the conversation I had with Dan. Hey, thank you. Uh, last time we talked, obviously, we were in the midst of getting things uh, up and going when it comes to the uh, Urban Haven project, which is part of a, of a bigger situation that we'll talk about in just a second. Obviously, the world has basically been turned on its head since then. So so how are you right now and how are things at Beth Emanuel? Oh, my goodness. You know what? Uh, you know, and it, we're no different than anybody else. We had to, you know, rethink things on the fly, uh, do things differently. But the uh, the program was almost to a finish when uh when this this whole COVID 19 thing hit so we were kind of on uh i think we were just kind of weeks weeks from finishing uh so everything was on track so we were really excited at the at uh the results of of what happened with this program uh tell us uh, more about it and how it worked well, so you know, from from and as you know, we we we've been speaking a couple times through the year, and, and uh, with the whole tent issue, and then uh, then we had to find an insurance company, and we found that we were about a week behind our scheduled uh, start date in January, but uh, then we quickly got started. Um, we saw 22 men uh, that were accepted into the program in total, 
Um, there was probably about 15 at least uh, that we did not accept um, because it just didn't meet our criteria. We were very specific of, of the kind of guy that we that we wanted, and that was somebody that was looking for housing, looking for work, looking for um, uh, you know some, some uh, you know uh, something to um, help their addiction issue or whatever. So we had very specific criteria, um, and we found 22 men that fit that, um, and it went really, really well. Like 95% of the men were housed uh, that we had. So they all left the program either um, going into their own place, uh, their uh, a rooming house situation, or some were even reunited with family, which was really uh, exciting. Um, but there was only two of those guys that left on their own and went back to the street. Um, and, I mean, it is what it is, right? But, uh, you know, it's uh, – I mean, we tried to do whatever we could do. But, again, you know, it's, it's their own decision, right? Um, a third of those men found work. Wow. And that's either part time or full time. And now, now, Craig, this is the crazy thing. This is the, this is what we really learned what the real face of homelessness is. It's we we had um you know, general laborers and retail. I'm not putting that down. I mean that there was that's why I'm just making a statement there. Like we had just different people with different jobs. But we had guys that were electricians. Like a, a guy that was an electrician went back to work as an electrician. Another guy went back to the carpenters union and was working just before this whole thing hit. Um, and this is a big shocker. Uh, one guy was actually a nurse. And through through a series of events, and I don't want to be too specific because I don't want anybody to really know, uh, I'm trying to protect his uh, you know identity, but through a series of events that had happened in his life with some death situations and, and uh, he ran into some, some, you know, some, uh, some addiction problem, uh, went out and got help for that. Um, but in the midst of that, in the place that he was staying because of, the situation in our city with housing, um, he was um, asked to leave his housing situation, which literally put him on the street. Now, this guy's, uh, you know, a a professional and found himself at, at the mission uh, for one night and just couldn't do it. Like, it just it wasn't just wasn't him. And we found him and he came into us. And uh, through that uh, few weeks of time with us, he ended up landing a supervisor job in a in a uh, long term care home. Um, and ended up moving into his own place. And uh, as I, I don't know the end of the story, but I think there was some. Uh, I, I believe there was some, uh, uh, some uh, reuniting with uh, with his with his uh, wife and child in the midst of all that. So uh, really, really exciting. And it really showed us that it's not just what everybody thinks. That not everybody out there, because we only tend to look at the few that grab everybody's attention that are, you know, doing what they do. And everybody knows that. I don't have to say what it is but i mean you know there's certain people on the street that you just say hey they're all like that we're saying that's not true we've had guys that were educated that didn't have an addiction problem and in fact a couple of the men that had addiction problems were actively going to 12-step programs once they're with us before the COVID 19 hit so we're so excited with the success from this that we're really it's not like we don't have time on our hands right now mm-hmm. we're really uh starting to put together a plan to do this permanent to actually have a permanent uh, program uh, to cycle men through, maybe not as many as we want uh, because of our limited space and situation, but we definitely want to do something. Uh, we we know that there's we we know that what we knew originally that there was men out there that just kind of fell through the cracks that weren't the same as the other guys that were out there that just needed the hand up, and you know these 22 showed us we were right. So we're really really excited. 
Yeah, no, I I get how you're excited. That's uh, that that's pretty incredible, and the results are uh, are are amazing. So, how has the outbreak uh, uh, changed things, if at all? Because uh, look, you you're obviously doing some uh, so, some pretty great things. I'm sure you would like to continue it, but uh, clearly, uh, the pandemic that we're in has altered what you're able to do right now, right? Well, the, correct, and and we're and we're not any different than anybody else. We've had to really alter stuff that we're doing um, in the last weeks of the program. We actually isolated everybody, so we 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 actually uh, grounded everybody, so everybody had to stay put. They were fine with that. Um, we made sure that they were entertained. We made sure they had food, and and you know, and and um, so that all ended up very very well. Um, to carry on at this point, we were just taking a step back and just planning right now. I'm in daily contact with the with the health unit because um, we were giving out food to our community. We've just temporarily stopped that for now, with a target date to get started back up doing that in May. Um, but honestly, we can see ourselves doing more outreach, Craig, than than food. Food is a is is a, a definite um, uh, source, uh, but there's a lot of people out there that are still uh, like feeling that. What they're not doing is people are coming and getting a meal, and then you're then they're just going right away. But nobody's taking the time to check in with them and talk with them. And we see that uh, as maybe our niche because right now we have a number of people on our phone list in our community that we contact every day to check on them and have a conversation with them, keep their, you know, keep them level, keep them calm. Uh, many of our folks have anxiety or mental health issues, so they really need a, a calming word and, and somebody just to, you know, just to speak to them and let them just let them talk, right? Because they're nervous. I mean, we're all we're all in that boat. But think about somebody that has anxiety or or, or mental health issues. That just kind of heightens it a bit, right? So we can see moving forward, at least for the short term, of being more of a of an outreach that's really reaching people to have a conversation. Of course, at a at a, at a distance, right? But um, we don't know, right? Like nobody knows. Uh, we're just kind of just going off the seat of our pants and really trying to continue doing what we've always done is, is be that, is that hope for, for those that are marginalized and homeless. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty fantastic. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's been such a, such positive results here. Uh, even though we've uh, got been a little bit derailed, just like you said, like, like everyone else has been. So uh, what are our, what are our next steps to what do you hope to see happen? Uh, not just for the rest of the pandemic, but, uh, but after the pandemic with this. Well, so so uh, with, with all of this, and I think many of us uh, have learned new things, right? I think we've we've learned. Uh, I think what's more valuable to us than than just maybe uh, money and, and status and whatever, uh, we've learned that I, I see a community that's just gone gotten closer together and they're going out of their way to help each other, and that's kind of a old fashioned values that many of us grew up with, right? And and so. Uh, we want to continue that. We we see we see that there's a, a glimmer of hope there, and uh, it's really getting the team to start thinking out of the box of how can we reach people in a in a real tangible way in our neighborhood, to to make sure that people don't feel alone, that they do feel connected. So right now, with the time we have in our hands, we're doing a lot of planning. Um, like I said, we're making uh, we're making uh, physical uh, phone calls to uh, to people so they hear our voice and they see us. So, I mean, I, I made a mistake. Uh, teaching some people how to do video calls and now I'm bugged with that <laughs> but I say that tongue-in-cheek but yes um, but it's uh, but you know people just want contact right as far as this program we are so uh, so excited about the results that we got we do really want to continue it so that means uh, we're I mean we're donation based only um, so we're we're only uh, 
supported by individuals and local business. Uh, the local business have been amazing for us, uh, service clubs and like church organizations. So we really have to um, ramp up that uh, that givings. Uh, we are on Canada Helps as well. Uh, our givings haven't changed. Actually, there's more people that are giving now than before, which really shocks us because we're not out there asking. So um, I think those that are in contact with us uh, are really pleased as well with the results. So um, they, too, would like to see us uh, do this at more of a full-time rather than just a seasonal. So uh, that takes a lot of homework to find out you know, what we have to yeah. do, what hoops we have to cross, because I don't want to get into a tent issue again. Of course, yes. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, although it was uh, interesting. But, uh, uh, but uh, you know what, I, I'm, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to actually see. I know there's a negative side of it, but I'm, I, I'm looking at all the positives happening from this, and I'm seeing a lot of people that are really reaching out to one another that maybe, you know, they didn't do that. Uh, and getting calls from people I haven't heard from in, in years that are suddenly amazed because people have time on their hands. I don't know, but um, you know, it's it's uh, it's something we definitely want to expand on. Yeah, and I uh, I certainly understand why you would. I certainly understand why you would. Uh, we have to uh, leave the conversation there, Dan. Is there anything else that you want to add or uh, or, or or let me know about or let us know about the stuff going on at Beth Emanuel right now before we wrap up here? No, well, so so right now we're we're just in a holding pattern like everybody else. Um, we're we're still doing we're still doing stuff, but but in a different way. Um, but uh, we don't know what new normal is going to look like, right? But we're ready. We're ready for it, though. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, uh, no one really knows what new normal is going to look like. So you're not uh, you're not alone there, Dan. Thank you so much for yeah. giving us a couple of minutes and, uh, and and being willing to talk with us today. Really glad you could do it. Yeah, thanks, Craig. It's uh, Dan Morand of Beth Emanuel United Church and. Uh, Remember, he referenced the tent thing. Remember that whole ordeal where there were people that uh, wanted to call City Hall and complain because the church was setting up a tent for homeless people on the church's own property. Those people, by the way, are just like... The, 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 their, NIMBYism is a huge problem in this town, but that might be the worst NIMBYism I've, I've, I've heard of in London. That's really bad. Just if you don't want there to be a whole lot of people going in and out of a church next door, don't move next to a church. Further that, it's a tent. Get over it. But whatever. They were able to uh, get past that issue, and they've done some fantastic things at Beth Emanuel United Church, and they should be they should be lauded for that. More of the Craig Needle Show coming up after this. You're listening to London's only live and local morning talk show. It's a special Good Friday edition of the Craig Needle Show on 9 a.m. Back on the Craig Needle Show here on 980 CFPL. He is uh, a guy that uh, deserves a lot of uh, accolades. That would be uh, Dan Morant, Beth Emanuel United Church. Glad to have him uh, on the radio program just now. Uh, as he said, the coronavirus and COVID-19 has really derailed some of their plans, but they're trying to make the best of it and go forward. That's uh, really all you can do. Uh, here are the uh, the numbers from from COVID nineteen, which I feel do need to be updated. Of course, just people need to know this. And if you're wondering, hey, why am I staying at home for Easter dinner? Why am I not bringing my kids to see grandma and grandpa? Why am I not hanging out with my brother, my sister, whoever it happens to be, like we normally would be on Easter? Well, here are the numbers. Here are the reasons why. There have been one point six million coronavirus cases confirmed around the world. That number is lower than the actuality because A, China's suppressing the numbers, of course. B, 
there have just not simply not been enough tests in a lot of places. The United States is quickly moving in on 500,000, half a million total cases. I would suspect that's something that happens for them, what, in, I would say Easter Monday, might even be Easter Sunday, that they hit 500,000 cases. So there's that aspect of this. Other countries, Spain sitting at 157,000 cases. Italy, 143,000 cases. Of course, Italy's numbers are uh, kind of the, the worst case scenario as far as the numbers that you can trust in the world. They've got 96,000, almost 97,000 active cases. And their cases per 1 million people in the population... It's not as high as Spain, but still pretty high. 2,375. That's a number to watch. Basically, you're looking at cases per capita there, right? They're sitting at 2,375. It's a big number. Elsewhere, here in Canada, well, the very latest numbers are this. Ontario sitting at 5,759 confirmed cases, 200 deaths. 2,305 people recovered. Uh, Those 200 deaths, uh, second only to Quebec on a uh, national scale. Quebec is sitting at uh, almost 11,000 cases. They were actually in a pretty good spot at the very, very start of this. And all of a sudden, numbers just started spreading really quickly. And that is what happens when people are careless. Even if people are careful, that could happen. But the best you can do is improve your odds and improve your stats, right? So there's that aspect of this. Canada-wide, 2,748 confirmed cases. 509 deaths. 5,311 folks recovered. Here in London, the Middlesex London, we had an update yesterday that included one person passing away. Remarkably sad. That's eight total deaths in our region. In our area, the number of confirmed cases is 170. Number of recovered cases is 48. That is where we are at on those numbers and those stats right now. It's it's scary. It's frightening. But again, the numbers I just read you underscore the need to stay home. And I'll tell you this right now. If you are planning on having that Easter gathering today or through the weekend, please, please don't do it. If one person shows up at that Easter gathering, they're going to give COVID-19 to a few people. And then they're going to give it to a few people. And then they're going to give it to a few people. It is so important that you stay home this weekend. It is so important that you do that. Have some sort of video conferencing Easter dinner or something. I don't know. Everybody makes a a, a dinner for themselves. And then you sit and you have dinner and eat together. I don't know what it is you're going to do. But that's that's the situation. Please just stay home this weekend. And I'm sure you're going to hear that very same message from the mayor of London, Ed Holder. Ed Holder going to join us after a news update with Scott Monick. So stick around. It is the Craig Needle Show. You're tuned to Global News Radio. It's 980 CFPL.